Welcome to the FML Podcast, the podcast on a mission to uncover actionable insights, explore the latest trends, and to catalyze your fintech's growth. Join Growth Gorilla's founder and managing director, Shamir Sajdev, and some of fintech's hardest-hitting marketers and leaders. Welcome everyone to today's episode of the FML podcast. We're joined by Amanda Liu, Director of Brand, Product Marketing and Growth at Sion. Um, Amanda, thanks for jumping on the podcast today. Thank you for hosting me. Super happy to be here. So thank you, Shamir. Amazing. So uh, let's just jump straight into it. Amanda, for, for everyone listening, can you just share a little bit about yourself and your journey so far uh, and how you ended up at Sion? I started out in the digital space. Uh, I was writing code badly. Um, to launching websites, apps, and the full suite of digital marketing. I would have called myself a digital purist. I then moved on to a strategic agency that was really satisfying, working on strategic branding and positioning for fintechs through to full 360 execution. And as you know, fintechs are a competitive industry, so it was really fun and really challenging carving niches for some of these businesses. And it was great being able to influence and pull all kinds of levers around a business, uh, whether that's for our clients or for the agency itself, to make initiatives successful. And then I, you know, I went on to startup world at Sion. I uh, love the chaos and madness, and I can just invest all this passion and energy driving impactful growth in this space. Fraud and FinCram is also exciting. So yeah, that's how I ended up at Sion. I want to talk more about your role because brand, product marketing, growth, that, that sounds like you, you cover quite a lot. But before we jump into that, just to just for a bit of context, who are Sion and, and w- w- what do you guys do? Sion is an end-to-end fraud and fin crime platform. And what we're building here is we're trying to be this centralized department system of fraud where you know we underpin entire fraud and risk teams. So this is a very interesting space to be in, leveraging all kinds of new digital tech and finding clever ways to fight fraud. So I love my role here, being able to work closely with customers, listening to their pain points, their needs, and get to know their world, their business risk, what what does risky look like to a different business, and their growth opportunities in high-risk markets, and then be able to lean on those learnings to shape Sion's own positioning and how we grow, whether that's from a product, team, commercial perspective, to better serve our customers. Who is your ideal customer? Who are your ideal customers? We work with a lot of fintechs um, and predominantly people who are in high risk markets. So, for example, say in LATAM or APAC, where, you know, countries like that, there's no system that leaves an in-depth credit history trail. So how would you tell that someone's risky or not if you don't have like traditional paper trail? And because everybody lives online now, everybody leaves digital footprint what alternative signals can be used to tell a business that this is a good profile, this is not a good profile, and where do you scale opportunities in such risky markets? It's funny that you mentioned LATAM. I think um, the, the last few podcasts that we've done and also conversations that I've had, you know, you read in, in, in the papers and stuff that it's a growing market, but I think it's really starting to come into its own. And I think we're going to see more out of that space. Is LATAM your, your core market or are you seeing growth in other areas as well? 
its growth in other areas. Uh, CEO Nino was born out of Budapest in Hungary. Um, so Europe was the first market we entered. And, you know, we've been trying different markets in APAC, LATAM, US as well. US is the next market that we're going to crack. We've built a solid revenue team there as well. Um, so, yeah, that's exciting. As director of brand, product marketing and growth, you're you know, covering a hell of a lot there. But, uh, yeah, can you kind of tell us more about what you're doing on a day-to-day basis, knowing that you're going after, obviously, fintechs is definitely more for B2B, you know, enterprise type of play. What does your sort of marketing framework or approach look like? When I joined Sion, it was, uh, they were, they had that secured Series A. And when you join a startup at early stages like that, there's a lot of things to build. And I love getting stuck in, <laughs> getting muck in. So I cover a lot of ground because those were the pockets of areas that, you know, if we built well, setting up the foundations, those are the elements that let us scale a lot better on a day-to-day basis. Like right now, you know, startups, they go through phases of change and growth. What we look like today could be different in six months, nine months, 12 months. You, you don't know how the market might change and you have to pivot very fast. So, for example, right now we're working on what's the next strategic narrative? What are the horizons ahead? And that vision is set by the C team. And we've got to tell that story. That strategic narrative has to trickle through our messaging, our positioning. What is the story we want to tell the world? And we've got to trickle that through into our content, our campaigns, the way we interact with customers as well to get everyone behind that same story. And then how we weave that into our product as well. How does product align with the business strategy? What is that underpinning thread that ties all these things together? So keeping everything in sync whilst trying to drive growth and keeping consistency from brand and positioning point of view. These are some of the important things that we try and work on and review to make sure that we were all in sync. What does growth look like at Sion? How are you driving that? You know, I think whenever I speak to B2B marketers, it's always a little bit more, I wouldn't say complex isn't necessarily the right word, but it's a lot more nuanced than, than say, B2C. So knowing that you're, you're targeting, you know, multiple territories, multiple products, how do you create that awareness and, and, you know, start those conversations with your target customers? It kind of ties into, like, you know, geographical expansion, geographical growth, uh, where we talked about LATAM and APAC US earlier. The audience, you know, as everybody knows, the audience, the buying journey, the buying behaviors, the buying power and regional trends and market maturity is very different in different geogs. And these are the things that we're learning, we're discovering. And these things are challenging to try and get right. Sometimes you have to try, sometimes you have to run short campaigns to test what is working and, you know, quickly learn from that. And communication is key because Sion also moves very fast. So there's sort of clear communication between leadership, setting the right kinds of direction, being in sync is so important. And, you know, these tests and these challenges, it influences which verticals and what go-to-market approach that we will adopt, which, what would we choose? The go-to-market in US can look very different to LATAM. And we also look at revenue, sales cycle, acquisition costs, win rates and how we would sell and how we would expand the customer base. We all buckle down on what's working. We adapt to each geographic area, respecting like these geographic nuances. And, you know, having local teams on the ground also help us be close to customers. I think that's really important because of all these differences in their buying behavior and how they have to operate. As we evolve as well, we're learning that frequent conversations and having these debates is what helps us make the right decisions. 
I just want to drill down on something that you said, which, which was, you know, you're looking at, you know, the sales cycle length, the, you know, the, the, the value, the revenue, et cetera, which naturally it, it comes across as you're, you're clearly very, very data led as an individual, clearly as a business. I think it's one of the things that I stress to our clients a lot, especially when they're not willing to invest into their tracking and their analytics or their CRM. Yeah. What does, you know, the CON sort of data infrastructure look like? you know, and, and how are you deriving that information? And then what's your relationship with, say, the sales teams and the revenue teams that's making this successful? So a few things there. I think data, I know every startup and most businesses will probably struggle with this. Uh, I call it dirty data. <laughs> and I always believe that, you know, data is meaningless without context. And it's always, it's very important to balance that quantitative with qualitative input when making decisions data only always shows one side of the picture. It's these nuances and context that completes that full picture. So when data tells me one thing, I always have to dig deeper to validate that data because the North Star for me is always the customers. You know, on paper, a campaign can look great. A vertical might look like a really bad fit on paper. But then when I, when I drill deeper to understand where, how, and, and why is the data showing me this, I always discover nuances that influence that final decision. So data is important, but context really completes the picture. That's something I always push for and drum across when we get data. Okay, what is the nuances behind that? Why is the data showing us this? And, you know, I know attribution is a big debate for all marketeers, uh, but it's not about three touch points, 10 touch points, yeah, 20 yeah. touch It shouldn't be surprising that it's hundreds and thousands of touch points. Buying journeys are very different. You know, it's difficult to try and predict that. But when you get close to customers, you always hear their perspective, hear it from them. And I think that's what matters, the customer uh, point of view in all the decisions we make. If we really want to build something for the customer, something that suits a specific market, then talking to customers is very important. And it's not just data that will tell you that. I mean, huge agreement with you. I mean, even, you know, we, with our own agency's marketing, you know, yes, we're always looking at data points, but I think you know, it's that context that is tremendously important, right? Because taking that, that point around, you know, you can have multiple touch points with an organization, but there's that third dimension of the quality of touch point that you're having. And actually one really good, meaningful conversation with the right person who gives, you know, who, who communicates the right things to you, you know, from a sales perspective can be worth, you know, 10 touch points of, you know, 10 follow-up emails that aren't really going to go anywhere. I just want to talk about that, that qualitative and quantitative piece. You talk about talking with your customers. Is that more anecdotal information that you pull from your sales team? Or is there a more structured approach where you're conducting you know, proprietary market research and, and conducting in-depth interviews with target customers, actual customers, you know, lost customers? You know, t tell me more about that. So all of it, actually. Talking to sales is also very important. Uh, I love being close to teams on the ground because they hear it directly from customers. They know the market trends. They see a lot immediately. So I value the sales input. Uh, I think they're a core part of getting this feedback. But equally important is our customer success team. They also deal with clients on a day-to-day -day basis. They see the nitty-gritty um, and they have that sort of relationship as well. But we also have our product owners who have conversations with customers. We conduct interviews to fully scope out a feature 
because we want to make sure that if we're going to build this, it's going to have a greater, bigger net benefit for other customers. So all our features from design phase, we involve customers from the start. We go through alpha and beta testing with select customers. And that's the best way to make sure that whatever we're going to be launching solves real needs. That's really, really interesting. I just want to talk a little bit about, you know, slightly further up the funnel. When I talk to B2B marketers, we always talk a lot about once we've made contact with, with the target customer. And I think the biggest struggle that I see, especially at being an agency where, where people contact us, is about how to create those initial conversations. And I'm always curious as to how different you know, B2B organizations do that. Are you a lot more sales-led with you know, the halo effect of marketing to cement the brand with the target customer? Or is it more a case of driving awareness through marketing and then capturing users you know as they hit the site um and and then expect them to make contact you know what what's what's the mechanism that's working for Sion? we started out sales led i think most startups will you always build that sales function first however our marketing is also doing really well marketing is dominating inbound you know about 50 to 70 percent is always inbound so we've got a strong marketing muscle there Sion is also unique in the fraud and fin crime detection space in that we also have PLG, where you as a buyer can literally sign up today, just see the product, and you know straight away if it works for you. So we've got a few muscles there that we've established. There's a lot more to build on each of those areas. I wouldn't say that we're particularly preferring a specific muscle. I think all these teams layer together even though everything comes in via inbound, there's still the outreach motion that we want to build that we're going to get better at. For certain markets, outreach is going to work a lot better than whatever awareness campaign that you run. Because in certain markets, that human touch is the way people buy and sell. So you have to adapt accordingly. I personally feel the way we work with our customers as well, we're very open and transparent. We built this sort of relationship where we can have conversations with them we can pick their brains and is that that you know leads to how we build products that align with their needs that kind of leads really nicely sort of into my next question because you talk about aligning product with the needs which is your value proposition as a business i mean Sion is is somewhat solving i think and, and again you touched upon it about the fact that you've got product-led growth and people can actually sign up directly for your platform and see if it works for them. Obviously, I don't want this to be a sales pitch, but what I'm really, really keen on understanding is, you know, what is Sion's kind of point of difference in terms of your offering? And how do you leverage that in order to drive users and, and uh, create awareness of your product? Fraud prevention isn't just about catching fraud at a transactional level, as in you only catch it when someone transfers money or purchases something, etc. That feels a little bit late by the nature of the fast-paced digital world we live in. So although Sion is full end-to-end fraud and fin crime platform, we, our differentiator, we use pre-fraud signals to detect fraud from the very first touch point, as in when a traffic lands on your website or app, when a fake email or phone number is used to create an account, there and then, if we can tell you that this first touch point is not good, you don't even have to load your registration form. Just don't let that be possible for, for a bad user. So for example, say for a neobank, a digital bank, 
if for them, they can tell from that first touch point that it's not even worth it to allow this fake user from creating an account, then we're already helping them to stop all this junk from even entering the ecosystem. We're saving them a lot of headaches, saving them costs, saving them the amount of time they spent processing all this crap in unnecessary accounts. And we do this by using deep digital footprinting. We cleverly combine a whole host of digital signals from emails, phone, geolocation, and social and digital presence as a way to you know, profile what's risky or safe for a business. So where we talked about you know, those, those high growth markets like Latam, APAC, where you don't have paper trail, what other signals would you use for that? So this is how we, our approach is a bit more different. And yeah, our customers love us for this. It's interesting that you talk about areas like Latin America where there isn't a paper trail. And I suppose, you know, even Europe and UK, we are becoming more digital, but that has its own inherent problems. So, you know, what, what is the, the current state of play with cybersecurity and, and how is Sion staying ahead of the tactics that are being used by fraudsters in, across the globe, really? So it's interesting because we work with a global client base. We see different fraud patterns globally. So the behaviors we see in LATAM can be different to APAC, can be different to Europe. And, you know, we help tailor these things differently based on where our clients' businesses are based. So, for example, we have clients trying to break into Japan. What they see in Japan is going to be very different to what we see in Europe. And because we've got all this data, we can see what's working well for this, that or the other, and then work with the client to get a bespoke solution that suits their risk tolerance, because every, every business has a different risk tolerance. We see age-old tactics that, that haven't changed, fake new accounts, synthetic IDs, um, volumes in abusing promotions and services, non-payments from scammers. So I feel like, you know, it's not that these tactics have changed but they've become more sophisticated and subtle. And depending on the attack type, it can get more aggressive in volume, in velocity of attack. And if you're dealing with such subtlety and sophistication and hidden patterns amongst a lot of noise, it's really hard to spot these things without leaning on newer tech and using tech cleverly. How do we use machine learning to process all these patterns and easily tell you with one click that, hey, all these accounts are crap. So it's about being smarter to use new tech cleverly to stop these things from even happening so you don't have to process all this scam later on. That's my personal take on it because these tactics have always remained the same. They do get more sophisticated. So how do you stay on top and be more clever? And you have to be very open to adopting new tech. Try it out, test it out because this is how we stay on top of it. Our clients value those insights from us our large data set, we see all kinds of patterns, we see all kinds of trends. And we share this data with the customers. We say, typically for this business, your business operating in this region, this is what we see. And if we configure you like this, you're going to stop all these things. Um, so those are the insights that clients also lean on us for. You talk about, obviously, taxes becoming more sophisticated. And, and you know, there's no way that I can, I can conduct this podcast without asking this question. Yeah, how do you think AI could impact, I suppose, your ecosystem, both positively and negatively, I suppose? I think it's, it's positive because, you know, we all lean on AI now to help our jobs, our day-to-day -day jobs be better. And fraudsters do the same. 
they use tech and automation to get more sophisticated and subtle. It's also a business for them. They want to be efficient at it. And, you know, automation helps them achieve that. So that's why to me, AI is an advantage because fraudsters are creative, innovative. They're always looking for new ways to crack things. So you equally have to keep your tech updated, use the latest things and fight fire with fire. That's, that's how we do it. So yeah, AI helps us a lot. Machine learning helps us process these patterns, these trends. And yeah, we see on literally, it's like one click to find some of these trends that might not be easy to spot with the human eye. So I'm, I'm going to switch streams a little bit because I think one of the things I just wanted to touch upon is around kind of like diversity within within Sion. It's no coincidence that a lot of the global brands that we speak to that have been successful in, I suppose, growing significantly and rapidly, they have a really diverse culture. What role do you think that's played in Sion's success? And then how do you think that's impacted the end product as well that you're delivering to your customers? I love different perspective. Our leadership team, they all have different viewpoints and I think that's healthy. Um, there's so much learnings and transferable skills when you cross-pollinate and encourage different opinions. I like it when I get challenged on an opinion because then we debate, we talk about it, we explore it. Is this right? Is this wrong? Is there a different way to approach things? And it's, it's these alternative views that expands possibilities because then you're truly challenging assumptions and challenging status quo. You know, every time I work closely at a tech level, I'm always amazed by possibilities and options when I get different heads in the room, uh, whether that's sales, CS, the customer itself. All these conflicting viewpoints always result in something better. It always results in better work. So I really encourage that within my team. I think it's diversity in thought that drives that sort of innovation. And, you know, in our space where cyber criminals are always looking at new ways to exploit any opportunity, we should also get creative. I'm a big fan of creating diversity in the workplace. I think, you know, I think to a degree, I was about to say, especially in creative functions, but I don't think it just is limited to creative functions. I think, you know, in a world where you're in with cybersecurity, I, I suppose some, you know, it's somewhat creative in itself. You know, I think it takes a special type of individual to formulate a new plan to try and defraud a financial institution, right? And so therefore, you know, that requires some sort of degree of creativity to combat that. I kind of want to just wrap up on, I suppose, looking at things from the perspective of your customer. What steps do you think fintechs can take to foster a culture of, of awareness around cybersecurity and promote best practices amongst their organizations? A lot more open conversations and that willingness to share stories. You know, some people in this space can be quite protective in that they don't want to talk about their solutions because they feel like, oh, maybe fraudsters would learn from what they're using and, you know, counter that. However, I think it's sharing these open conversations that benefit more people. We want to host more events, getting, you know, intimate events where we get a lot of these leaders in this space to share stories. Uh, we hosted one recently, and I think that was really successful. How often do you get all these leaders together sharing how that what they've seen, what kind of fraud trends they've seen, what's been risky, expanding into new markets for them, and being able to share those stories? So 
I think we love being that conduit, bringing different people together. And I think it's the openness and willingness to share to, that will create this wider awareness. And then tend on a, I suppose, a forward-looking note, what does the future hold for, for Sion and, and for yourself, I suppose? A lot of exciting growth. Uh, for me personally, the sky's the limit. Sion enables that with, with unlimited rocket fuel for however far I want to go. And luckily, that also aligns with where Sion wants to be. Um, we want to get fraud and fin crime protection into every single online business. Every online business should be able to access, you know, bare minimum protection. Uh, you know, a lot of these solutions feel like it's reserved for bigger companies with bigger budgets. That's not how it should be in this modern digital world. Um, and we want to share and spread the word on best uh, practices for anti-fraud. There is a gap in that industry knowledge and, you know, we're happy to share our learnings and our insights, all the data we've seen with our customers. It's this value add that set our customers love. For Sion, the leadership team has just set a new set of horizons. We've got a clear vision and we're going to pave a clear path to get there. So, yeah, personally, super excited for something like Sion, for something like, you know, being in a fraud and fin crime space. There's so much we can do. Uh, it's a true mission that you want to change because fraud and fin crime can cripple businesses, can cripple governments and economies. And we're here to try and stop things like that. Well, before I let you go, I just want to take you through our quick fire round. What podcast are you listening to right now? Um, there's actually two. There's one that I really love. It's called 20 VC. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, yeah, I love that one. Uh, and the other one is Diary of a First Time CMO. Um, that's by Cognizant. And they were just cataloging and, you know, a diary, a log of how they create this demand gen muscle. Uh, and it's it's really interesting. Other than Sion, what's your favorite fintech app or company? Oh, no, I feel like this is asking me to choose which was my favorite chocolate cake. Because <laughs> I, I love fintech. Uh, we have so many fintech clients. I'm going to pick Clary. Um, Clary works with a lot of fintechs. So I love different perspective. And you know, me watching Clary's journey, what they do, how they approach certain things. I think it's interesting how they try and better serve fintechs. And uh, what books are you currently reading or would you recommend? Oh, my recommendations are always very weird. At the moment, I, I discovered Warren Ellis. Um, he's typically like a comic book writer. The book I'm reading at the moment is called Crooked Little Vein. Uh, it's nothing to do with work, but... He's very creative. He's also a realist and he's got a weird sense of humor. Um, again, very different perspective. I just love different perspectives. My last question, but probably my favorite question, what's one thing that I haven't asked that perhaps I should have? Oh, no. Um, have I had lunch? No. <laughs> it's cool. it's cool. But I've got a big dinner lined up, so I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> there you go. On, on that bombshell... Uh, Amanda, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast today. Thank you. Uh, thank you for joining me. Thank you, Shamir. It's been a pleasure to chat. The FML podcast is brought to you by Growth Gorilla. To find out how our marketing growth experts can boost your fintech's growth, head to growthgorilla.co.uk and make sure to search for the FML podcast in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Don't forget to click follow to ensure you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Growth Gorilla, thanks for listening.